0: For a second message today, um, standing in for Curtis Whiteley here at the last minute, is a sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele called Casting Out Fear. Mr. Steele. Too many microphones. <clears throat> Okay, hello, that's a dreary day outside, isn't it, but it doesn't have to be a dreary day here, but that's that's good, we get to worship, we get to praise God, we get to pray for one another, for those that are sick, and we get to love on one another. I don't remember if it was Reg that said it earlier, but there the About no collusion between him and Sean. Well, there was obviously no collusion between me, Sean, and Reg um, on my topic today because I didn't know that I was going to be uh, talking about this particular topic until kind of last night this morning. But it goes really well with with Sean's message and I think the music selection today. Who's been on a road trip? There's a couple of you who have never been on a road trip? That's so sad. Road trips are so much fun when you're the kid. <laughs> right? When you're the parent, eh, it's a different story. I remember being a kid, you know, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, something like that. And just some of the fondest memories of finally the day is here. We're going on holiday, as it's appropriately called, not vacation. And we're getting in the car, and we are going to the place that we're going to have our holiday. right? And that's the mindset of a kid. If I just get in the car, everybody else gets in the car, and we go. But there's a little bit more planning in there, isn't there? There's some logistical things that, as a kid, you're almost completely oblivious to. Such as, well, in our case, we were always camping. So how about you bring the tent? And some clothes to change into. That would be an idea because you're going to be gone for the week. And some food, some cu- cooking implements. You know, the little propane stove that I always wondered <clears throat> why it was never going to blow over in the tent. Because this is England. And as Mark and attest with me that we have lots of storms just brew up. And I'm always wondering at what point the tent wall will just knock over the lit stove into the rest of the tent. That wouldn't be good. But those are the kinds of things we're thinking about as the parents, aren't we? As the kids, we're not worrying about that. And then there's the logistics of how we're getting there. We've got to get the, you know, enough fuel in the car. Oh, look, the tires are bare. We didn't get the tires changed. Maybe we need to take care of that. What else? Well, back in the day, we couldn't just get in the car and uh, turn on an electronic device that tells us where to go, right? And tells us when we've performed illegal maneuvers on the road, like, you know, an illegal U-turn or things of that nature. We actually had to get out a paper map and plan the route, or the route, as you might say. None of these things I was aware of as a boy. Not really. The only time I kind of started to suspect that there was maybe a little bit more work involved in the larger sense of getting there is when my mom and dad would start taking the map from each other because, (laughs) well, maybe we're a little lost. But, for the most part, I was fairly oblivious to that. Didn't have any worries about the journey. I just knew we would get there. And why did I know that we would get there? Because Dad was behind the wheel, and I had just absolute faith in him that he was going to get us to the end of the journey. That's the beauty of of being a kid on a road trip. And of course, there's extra candy and things like that. That helps. But we're on a road trip, aren't we? In a sense. We are all together on a road trip on this big bus we call the church. Some of us have been on the bus for a while now. And those are the ones that are yelling from the back seat, are we there yet? I'm thinking of Fran and David and Lucille when I say that. Are we there yet? But along the way, we've stopped to pick up some other travelers, haven't we? And we've added all of each one of us on this bus we call the church, traveling on this journey together. But unlike when we were young, Unlike when we were oblivious to all the challenges of life, on the bus called the church, we can start to get a little bit worried about where we're going, can't we? Start to have some concerns about, does the driver know where he's going? Because this road seems really bumpy at times. right? And I think we could be honest and just kind of wonder, either... Are we questioning the driver a little bit, or am I on the right bus? (laughs) Maybe I'm on the wrong seat on the right bus. But we start to worry, don't we? We start to wonder about these things. And maybe we think that we could change the direction, and we can decide the right path to follow. Give us a turn with the map and see if we can get there a little quicker. Because we would all like to get there a little quicker. Almost two years now, it seems, we have been, we're getting close to two years, we've been buffeted and assaulted, haven't we, in the world. In, in very unique ways, in ways that um, are different, but on top of the regular challenges of life. We've experienced the tremendous loss of security and normalcy. And that can bring a lot of fear. And it can be overwhelming. And then we add that to the mix of our own individual challenges with work, with health, with, with family, with finances. And it can be a bumpy journey on this bus we're still experiencing what lots of people have been describing as trauma, right, together. And we've all been trying to figure out how to deal with this group trauma. What's the antidote to this fear? I know myself, I've gone through these stages of anger, (laughs) and then fear, and then depression, and then when you come back up for air, you think, okay, maybe it's all fixed. No, it's still there and the cycle can repeat itself again and again. And then we get into divisions, don't we, in our society, in our country. And we hear about those in the media and, you know, I keep telling myself to just stop reading the news. Just stop reading the news. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to read while in, in a, on a car journey? Do you get nauseous? I get nauseous. Steve doesn't get nauseous. So he can read the news. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really trying to not read the news because I'm getting gyrated around on this journey on the bus and I'm getting nauseous. And it affects our mind. And we fear and we start to worry. But it's not really a fear of a virus or you know, all the things that we know about that. It's really a global pandemic of fear, and the reactions that have taken place we can see is just born out of our collective fear. I think I quoted this before, and I I love this this line when um, Roosevelt said that the type, the only fear we have is the fear itself. Is that how it goes? And he says this nameless, unreasoning, and unjustified terror. Man, we can get ourselves into unjustified terror. And we can do that so easily. And I will admit that my response to all of this has not always been very good or healthy or helpful. And I'm sorry also for any hurt that I have caused or adding to that fear that I may have caused. So what are we supposed to do? How do we cast out fear? What's the antidote to fear? What is the solution? When I was thinking about this, and obviously we, we know the scripture, Reg, Reg uh, quoted from the scripture earlier, but, but outside of that, I was thinking and I think I've been thinking about this whole situation in the world, that the way to conquer the fear that I have about what's going on is to find out the truth, right? The truth, if I can find out really what's behind everything and what's really going on, and find out all the information about the situation, then I won't have as much to fear. Or will I? Now, in one sense, you know, we do have that experience, don't we? Sometimes there are things that we are afraid of, and then when we go through them, and we have knowledge of them, we're like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't that big a deal. But sometimes we really were justified in being afraid of them. So truth, or information, or statistics, or articles, or, hey, prophecy, That will allay all of our fears, right? Have you read the prophets lately? (laughs) I mean, they're kind of not happy guys. And they don't deliver a lot of happy messages. Obviously, at the very end they do. But the narrative of prophecy is not always free from, let's say, anxiety. So this idea that we can cast out fear with truth or with knowledge or understanding is false. And it's false for that maybe first obvious reason, which is you might find out more than you really bargained for. And there might actually be something worse behind it. But there's something else that makes that difficult. Truth doesn't just stand on its own, does it? Because we're all human beings and we've started to look at sometimes the same set of facts. And I'm not talking about the modern version of my truth and then there's your truth. There is only one truth. But how we perceive that truth is based on our experience, is based on our beliefs, our prejudices, all of those things. And so when we start to ascribe meaning to that truth, then what happens? Well, you have your opinion, I have mine, and then we're in conflict. And that brings about more fear. So truth, although it is good to know truth, and certainly in the context of God's truth, but I'm talking about the truth of situations and matters that go on in the world around us. There's a scene from uh, a favorite movie of mine. I don't know why it's a favorite movie of mine. It's called The Man of Steel. (laughs) And uh, in this particular scene, it deals with how large the world is. And of course, it's in the narrative of the story of Superman. He's a young boy, and his powers are starting to emerge and it's very much kind of like a it's really a, a metaphor for for us coming of age right and starting to realize how big the world really is and how big the problems of the world really are and we all you know we'll get on social media and just say this is the solution right and knowing full well that we we not can, we can't grasp this we can't grasp the whole world. It's too much for us. The world is too big. Brian, can you play that? When Kansas became a parable. Clark, are you listening to you could tell me who first settled Kansas. Are you all right, Clark? Focus on my voice. Pretend it's an island out in the ocean. Can you see it? I see it. Then swim towards it, honey. me, Mom? Clark. Clark. Anybody remember that scene? It's a powerful scene when you think through that imagery. The world is too big for us. We can't possibly know all the truth that there is in the world, all that's going on, all the information that's out there. You know, somebody described our age as, as just being an insanity. We're avalanched with information. You know, we can we can go on our phones, and we can read about what happened to some village yesterday in Nigeria, or or uh, what is going on in Australia, or. I mean, you just think about the global news that we can, we can reach. We're not designed to understand and comprehend all of that information. The world is too big for us. It's too big for us to hold it and to contain it and make sense of it. We often don't even understand all the truth of about our own lives, do we? And we make assumptions that are often not true. The world is too big. And I really like the line that Superman's mom says, then make it smaller. And How do we make it smaller? I think we find the answer to that is love. We are not God. We cannot possibly hope to understand and we don't have the capacity to to absorb everything that's going on around us. It'll always be a part of any situation that we don't understand. So if truth is not the antidote, if truth is not the antidote to fear, then we have to dig deeper into what John is trying to tell us. That the real antidote to fear is love. In John in first John chapter 4 and verse 17 he says, "Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I want to try to break this passage up a little bit because we we certainly go you know into the, the, the statement that the perfect love casts out fear but before we get to that there's, there's something here for us to, to understand. In verse 17, love has been perfected in us when we have no fear in the day of judgment. Now, there's two ways of reading that. I think one way is any day that we fall into judgment, right? Any day that we are being tested. It's one of the ways that we can understand that word. An individual day of judgment. When our faith is tested perhaps. When our hope is wearing thin. When we are really tested. When we're moved to anger. When we're moved to bitterness. Or even hate. Or doubt. By the actions of sinful men. By the actions of friends and neighbors. And the community around us. Those days are days of testing and judgment. But then there is this other day. And I think that's more of what John is talking about here. The day of judgment. What we call the day of the Lord, right? When, when God is going to bring his judgment on this earth. The Apostle Paul says it in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That's Jesus. And he has appointed him to judge the world on that day. And so if we have this love that John's talking about, this this perfect love, then we have no fear of that day or any days leading up to that, any other days of trial, of testing. We must have a boldness in that love. Why? Well, he says we are to be like our father right here. He says because as he is, as God is, so are we in the world if we have this perfect love. Now, it's not that Jesus was, you know, when he was on the earth, that he was without fear in the sense of fearing the things that he had to endure. But it wasn't a fear that caused Absolute what, panic, Un, you know, nameless fear, unreasonable fear. He knew he had to endure the things he had to endure. But he endured it in spite of that. So as he is, so are we to be in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We can attest to this, some of these truths in here, can't we? The whole world has shown signs of torment. When we are truly in this deep fear of a situation, it is torment. It keeps us awake at night. It, it clouds all of our judgment. It's the only thing that we can think about. It stops us performing the things we need to do for life. It is torment. Just that deep, unrelenting fear. And we've seen it in the world. We've experienced it in our own lives. But God tells us that perfect love casts that out. Now, this isn't a judgment. This is an exploration, isn't it? If we've experienced that kind of fear, well, now we know. And now we know that we can invite God in deeper, deeper into us with his love, so that we can cast it out. This isn't a condemnation. Perfect love performs its work if we let it. There are some wise Christian leaders today that uh, I find interesting that they have started to strongly say that they believe we are living in the end times. Now, that's been said before. Our own tradition has its own version of that. But, maybe we are. Maybe we really are living in the last days. But even if we're not, I think it's good advice to live as though we are living in the last days. Isn't it? And if that's the case, then we need to hurry up and light our lamps. We need to get those lamps filled with oil and, and then let that perfect love of God cast out our fears. This isn't a one-time thing. We have to do it over and over and over again. Because that's just how we are, isn't it? We are flawed human beings, and we need to continually rededicate ourselves to this power of God that can be in us, guiding us, and helping us to cast out fear. I think John is right for lots of reasons. The antidote to fear is perfect, or as as the word can also mean, complete or mature love. But why is that the case? Why is that the case? Why does perfect love cast out fear? Well, I think we need to understand what we're talking about. The love that John is referring to is not necessarily the love that we might have towards people in our lives. It might be, but I don't think that's specifically what he's talking about. The context in this passage is the love that we have between each one of us and God the Father and Jesus Christ. That is the perfect love that casts out fear. It is all love of them and their love of us. Not as a group, but as an individual. We have to accept that. But which comes first? Which part of this love comes first? Is it God that loves us first It is God that loves us first, specifically loves you. And it's not it's not a love like a pet. It's not a love like you're one of his favorite items, instruments, tools. You know, we oftentimes will deflect that very intense, powerful love of God, and we'll deflect it a little bit into maybe he loves us for what we can do for him or how he can use us. This is a very personal, deep love for each one of us, and it is built on his complete and utter understanding of exactly who we are. Think about that. Here's just some examples of just a few scriptures for you to think about in very personal terms the love of God toward us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps... For a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. John chapter 3 and verse 16. We use it so often. For God so loved you. You. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Loved each and every one of us. Why were we yet sinners? First John chapter three, verse one Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I would add to that, casts out fear in that perfect love just as he has, as he did. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, Paul says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring charges against us? Who's going to make us fear? Who's going to say you're not good enough? You're not strong enough. You're too sinful. You're the one that Jesus can never save. That is a lie. It is not true. God's love casts out that fear. but We have to accept it. We have to bring it deep within us and live on it. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Continually making intercession for us. Think about that. What he did in sacrificing himself is the greatest thing in the history of the universe. And will always be. But the work didn't stop there. He is constantly interceding for us. Defending us. Protecting us. Loving us. Even when we're not lovable. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life no angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even the work of our own imagination and the lies that we can tell ourselves, not even that will separate us from the love of God. This is his love toward us. In John 1 John 4 and verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for God is, for love is of God. and everyone who is born of God knows God. He who does not love does not know God. for God is love. That always reminds me of my, my dad. He was a screen printer, for most of his career. And he would always get permission from his boss that would have these uh, sticker-making machines uh, that's part of their business, and but the the end runs would never be long enough to do whatever the project was, and so there'd be leftover material. And so he would produce these stickers <laughs> with all kinds, you remember those, Renee? All kinds of scripture references. and. He he made one this one time and whenever I read this passage I always remember it's about that big. It's just a round little sticker. I think it's on my Bible that I had when I was a kid. And it's black with gold letters. And it just says God is love. I always think about him when I read this passage. Thinking about the love of the Father to his children, to us, We are the children of God. God is love. Deep, powerful love that casts out fear. I could go on, but in the interest of time, I think I'm going to just ask you a question. Are you getting the picture yet? Are you getting the idea that I'm trying to convey? Am I laying on a little too thick? This is critical that we accept it. We need this. We have determined to walk in this way and walk in this Christian life. We cannot do it without the love of God in us and without love back towards him. It's a two-way relationship. We have to love him as powerfully and as deeply as he is loving us. The world is too big. There's too much for us to try and know. And even once we know all that there is to know, that still doesn't cast out fear. It probably raises the anxiety levels. And even if we could do all of that, how much could we do about it? What can we change in the world? Nothing. So that's never going to cast out fear. The love of God casts out fear. Remember the movie? I can't remember what the movie was now. Ugh. Well, if I just say the line, you'll remember the movie. You can't handle the truth. Say that again. A few good men, and it was Tom Cruise. And Jack Nicholson. That's right. We can't handle the truth. We can't handle all this information, but we can handle what? Love. We can handle the love of God. We can accept it. And this is something that human races obviously, clearly, failed to understand. Right? Completely failed to understand. We're not like God. We can't control every outcome. We can't solve all the problems. We believe the lie all the way back to Eden. Well, God knows you will know. Knowledge. You'll have this knowledge of good and evil. You'll be able to understand that. Still believing the lie. But having the perfect love from God, knowing that we are precious to Him individually, each one of us, just so valuable to Him, is like being on that road trip. Knowing that you will get from here to there because Dad is driving the car. There's no doubt. You just implicitly trust. And that's central to this kind of love. We must trust to have this deep, complete, perfect love. Oh, we can understand some prophecy. We can understand some little bits of information and some truth. But when we're on this road trip, With him. We're nowhere near capable of taking the map. And the wheel. And trying to find a smooth road. He knows the best way to get there. In Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 8. This is powerful scripture. It's been on my mind a lot. It says remember this. And show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Now think about that. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God is not just merely a guide on this road trip. He's not just guiding us because he knows the way. He's guiding us because he made the way. He knows the end from the beginning. And more than that, he declares the end from the beginning. He defines the end from the beginning. So where our life will end up, how we will live from this moment on into the future, he already knows. Think about that for a second. He already knows it. Because he's already ordained it. And you know we throw out all kinds of arguments about that. Well what about our own free will? God gave us free will. Yes he let us have free will. As long as he let us have free will. Right? There's plenty of times that God has overridden our free will. And I bet you we've never even known it. He knows the end from the beginning because he made the end from the beginning. And he has declared things that haven't even happened yet. This is the God that we can implicitly trust and deeply love and feel his love and cast out all that fear. Isaiah continues in verse 11. He says, Calling a bird of prey from the east the man who executes my counsel from a far country indeed i have spoken it i will bring it to pass i have purposed it i will also do it listen to me you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness i bring my righteousness near it shall not be far off my salvation shall not linger and i will place salvation in zion for my for israel my glory So from what what I read about that is that God is bringing his salvation whether we like it or not. He will have his will. And you remember that he says in another place that he wills none to be destroyed. This is the God that loves us with a depth of love that he is orchestrating the story of our life. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is driving the bus that we are all on together. We can have absolute trust in him that we will get to our destination, that we will get to the kingdom of God. We need to relax. We need to enjoy the journey I know it can be hard. Brian and David still need to stop yelling, are we there yet? But we just need to trust him in that perfect love that casts out all fear.